0: Well hello and welcome to Ridge Church Online. Wherever you are joining us from, um, whatever this season looks like for you, I want to welcome you here. I'm glad you're tuning in. My name is Dan. I'm one of the pastors at Ridge Church. And um, if you're like me, you are now accepting the reality that we are well and all the way into Christmas season. We can no longer push it off any longer And all the parts of Christmas season uh, that come with that. There's lots of parts of joy. But if you're like me, Christmas season is a season where your patience is tested. Because no matter who you are, you want the perfect Christmas season, right? You you want that era and that time and the break and the family and the food and the presence and the experience that feels amazing. We all want that. We have the Hallmark movie image or the Instagram reality image of what Christmas is supposed to be. But, but here's the problem no one wants it to take more than two minutes to get. You know, I, I have gotten used to living in the lower mainland and accepting the reality of traffic, but there is no traffic like a parking lot at a shopping mall or a grocery store around Christmas time. It is painful. I I think of how irritated I get when I watch someone in the right lane that's meant to merge into the left lane, drive all the way to the front of that lane, ignoring the signs everywhere, telling them to turn in. I can't believe anyone would do that unless I'm in a rush, in which case I need to do that. and, And that is a totally understandable thing. I think of the lineup at the grocery store. I like to think of myself as a mature adult, but there is nothing that gets me more worked up in my heart and more clear on my face than when someone is using the self-checkout line and doesn't manage to do it in 30 seconds or less. I, I think about our online orders, whatever you've ordered from Amazon or on your Black Friday deals that you have been checking again and again and again. Where is it? What warehouse is it sitting in it? Why is it still in Mississauga? Why is it still in Mississauga? We're obsessed with getting things as quickly and as efficiently as possible. And yet, a huge part, if not a foundational part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus and one who worships God is to wait. French philosopher Simone Weil wrote this, waiting patiently is the foundation Of a spiritual life. Ooh, I I might agree with that, but I don't like it very much, because this doesn't really match the culture's values or even really my values. Move quickly, work hard, accomplish everything you can in a day, in a week, in a month. Figure out productivity hacks, grow your income, get to the next stage of your life. What's the next financial goal? What's the next personal fitness goal? What's the next personal relationship goal? What's the next thing that we're moving towards? We'd rather have our spirituality, our relationship with God focused on doing, not waiting. That's why it's so interesting that the story we're going to look at today is one that is often ignored or maybe more graciously left onto the sidelines when we look at Christmas narratives. See, last week we looked at Mary, and everyone knows Mary. Everyone knows her story. This teenage girl who's called into this terrifying but beautiful life that God has laid out in front of her. That though she is a virgin, she is with child. She will give birth to Jesus, the Savior. Her whole song, her whole story is forward-looking. Here's what's coming. Here's what your life's going to be. Here is what things will look like. It's this beautiful story of hope and anticipation. And we love Mary's song and we love Mary's story as we should because it's all about how God shows up and how God steps in, and how God will change our lives forever and set us in to a story that is bigger than ourselves. Her song is all about how God showed up in her life. Here's the question. What if God doesn't show up in your life? What if you live and do all the right things, Go to church, read your Bible, pray, try to obey what God has asked you to do. Try to be a good husband or wife or parent, whatever it may be. And it just doesn't seem like God ever shows up. Cue this man named Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth, who we also read about in Luke chapter one. They're on the other end of the spectrum from Mary. Here's what Luke one tells us. We're starting in verse five. It says, in the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. Both were righteous in God's sight. They lived without blame according to all the commands and the requirements of the Lord, but they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive and both of them were well along in years, which is a gracious way of saying they were old. See, these two land on the opposite side of Mary's story. Mary's a teenager. This is an old elderly couple. They've lived life. And according to what the Bible says, they've done it faithfully. They've done what they were supposed to do. Where Mary's life is all ahead of her, Zechariah is starting to look back and realize the majority of his life is behind him. Where Mary's story is just beginning, Zechariah is beginning to think about the end of his story. And here's just an aside for you today. God will show up to the elderly and to the teenager. It's one of the things I love about our church. I love that we are a church that seeks to minister to and reach generations of all kinds because here's what we believe. I say this as a youth pastor. I get to work with teenagers. I believe at the core of my being that God will show up and work in power among young people in our country to bring about a beautiful future but I also believe God can and will show up to you regardless of your age, regardless of what you're going through, regardless of how long in life you have been. And Zechariah's story, as it nears the end, has been one that's been filled with longing and more likely than not with pain. See, even though Zechariah and Elizabeth have been faithful to God, they've obeyed what God's asked of them. They, they've done all that they're supposed to do. Zechariah is a priest. He's in ministry. Elizabeth was in the line of Aaron. She's, she's key in the people of Israel. This is a good family following God, wanting to do what he's called them to do. They were the model. They were the people you want as your neighbors. They were the right type of believers. And yet they remained their whole lives without a child. Now, one of the most painful realities faced by so many is the journey and the challenge and the heartbreak of infertility. I've had the opportunity to walk alongside some people I really deeply love in my life who've gone through this journey. Some who have seen God bring about a child and some who haven't. And there are few things, if any, that I can think of that bear more silent pain than that. And it's interesting that the Bible is actually filled with stories. Abraham and Sarah being one, Zechariah and Elizabeth here, filled with stories of the pain and the heartbreak of how, and how God comes in to care for those who struggle with the reality of trying to have a child. But here's the kicker. At this point in Zechariah's life, Doesn't look very promising. And the worst part of it is the name Zechariah, his name, his identity, what he's been given as a name, how he's meant to live his whole life means this Zechariah, God remembers. And yet here he is nearing the end with no evidence that God has remembered him or his prayers or his longings or what he had hoped for in life. His very identity did not match his experience of what God was doing. And for him and Elizabeth, it was infertility. But I wonder if for you, it's something else. We just preached through Romans eight and there's all these beautiful verses and beautiful things that we love to say and rejoice in these promises of God. All things work together for the good of those who God loves. And yet, I'm still struggling to pay my bills this year. My family's falling apart. Nothing is getting better like I thought it would. We are more than conquerors through Christ. And yet, I keep on failing. I keep on giving in to sin. I keep on struggling. I'm nearly ready to give up. Nothing can separate us from the love that God has for us in Christ Jesus. And yet, I feel alone. And I feel afraid and I feel broken. And like, I don't know where to go for here. What do we do when the truth that we believe doesn't line up with our circumstance? What do we do when our identity doesn't line up with our experience? What do we do when our name doesn't match our story? And for Zechariah and Elizabeth, we don't know the details, but we know that they continue to walk through life. We know that they continue to show up. That Zechariah showed up to the temple, served as a priest. That Elizabeth continued to be faithful in her marriage. That they served God, that they loved others, that they obeyed God's word. They do what we all try to do. Bear the weight and the pain and keep moving forward. And then one day, Zechariah gets an opportunity and really would have been the opportunity of his life, of his career. He gets chosen through the casting of lots to go into the most holy place in his priestly role, a a task chosen kind of like an ancient raffle system to see which priest would get to go and burn incense before God, part of that religious practice. And this raffle happens or or the casting of lots happens and Zechariah gets chosen. And, And you know what I wonder? I wonder, I don't know, but I wonder how Zechariah felt at the idea of going into the very presence of God. Because here's this man who has showed up and sought to serve God, even when it feels like God hasn't showed up to help him. Even when it feels like his prayers have not been answered. And I wonder how he walked in that day. Like maybe there's this level of excitement, but I wonder, I wonder, was there a little bit of hurt? Was there a little bit of a question of, man, you're inviting me to be close to you and yet my whole life, this one thing that I've prayed for, this one thing that I've longed for, it, it hasn't happened. A- and so he goes in and he's accepted this reality. He's accepted his lot in life. He's, he's just there. He's doing his job. He's being faithful. Luke 1.10 tells us this is what happens next. At the hour of incense, the whole assembly of people was praying outside and an angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah, standing to the right of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and overcome with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you will name him John. And there will be joy and delight for you and many will rejoice at his birth. He will be fi- for he will be great in the sight of the Lord and he will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while he's still in his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord, their God. And he will go before them in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous to make ready for the Lord a prepared people man, what a moment. What a plot twist. Like what a powerful moment where maybe his whole life he's been waiting and wanting and hoping for a moment like this. God, why won't you just show up? And then finally, towards the end of his life, towards the end of his career, towards the end of his ministry, he gets this moment The angel shows up and proclaims this crazy thing that God is going to do, this miracle that God is going to do. And what is Zechariah's response? Verse 18 How can I know this? Zechariah asked the angel For I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Like, are you serious? Like you're going to show up and say my prayers are going to be answered now when it's impossible? You're going to show up and tell me God cares now when it's too late? I've given up on this dream. I've given up on this miracle. Maybe he stopped praying for this a long time ago. In the last few years, I've become a huge fan of European football. And there's a saying in European football, particularly for teams like my team, Tottenham Hotspur, um, that often can't really win a trophy, no matter how hard they try. It's this really common phrase. It's this, it's the hope that kills you. It's the hope that kills you. And so really the safest thing to do, not just in sports, but in life, is like lower your expectations. Just accept the way that things are. Stop expecting things to get better. Just give up because it's the hope that kills you. And we don't know exactly the tone or the tenor of how Zechariah spoke here, but it seems that something in the way that Zechariah spoke has irritated and irked this angel. Something about his tone or his attitude. It's interesting. Mary, when she's visited by an angel, she actually asked the exact same question right she says how can this be since i am a virgin very legitimate question not not any more or less legitimate than zechariah's question how can this be i'm an old man they're both legitimate questions, both reasons why a child could not be born. But something in the way that Mary asked received her no critique and no consequence, and yet Zechariah receives a consequence. I wonder if maybe the way Mary received or asked the question, man, how can this be? Man, I don't understand, but this is beautiful. Zechariah, it's, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, how is that going to work? that his tone communicates his disbelief. The angel answered him, verse 19, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. Uh, My paraphrase, the angel looks at him and goes, dude, I'm an angel. I'm with God all the time. I'm telling you, this is what God said was going to happen. And the angel says, verse 20, now listen, You will become silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. Interesting. See, there's a consequence for Zechariah and his lack of faith in this moment. You will not be able to speak until the child comes. But, but, you didn't believe my words, but, they will be fulfilled in their proper time. Here's what I want you to know. Here's what I want you to hear today and the gift and the glory and the beauty of this Advent season. God's power doesn't come from our faith. Our faith can come from God's power. But but even if God is going to do it, even if God's gonna surprise us, how do we wait? How can we possibly hold on to hope when it feels easier to just let go? How can we keep going when it feels like we can't move another step? How can we keep praying for something that it feels like the door has been slammed shut in our face? Simple. Not easy, but simple. By holding on to God in prayer. Back to verse 13, the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your prayer has been heard. You know, it's interesting. Some commentators look at this and, and, and consider it, which is a very legitimate interpretation that, that, that what the angel is saying, the prayers that you have prayed over and over, the ask that you have made of God over and over, we've heard all those prayers. God has heard those prayers and he's going to answer it. But, but some commentators actually consider that, that actually this is just one prayer and maybe a prayer that was prayed a long time ago. Maybe a prayer that hasn't been uttered for years and years and years and years. But what is the promise? What is the reason Zechariah does not need to be afraid? Did you notice that? It's not simply your prayer will get answered. That's not what the promise was. The gift is this, your prayer has been heard. There is great hope to be taken that whether we get what we want or not, Our prayers have been heard. To be listened to and to be cared for is the deep human need that God can meet, whether or not our prayer gets answered the way we want it to. Uh, The other night I was with my friend. I'm walking through some stuff. I'm waiting on some things that that are challenging, that are bringing up some anxiety and some stress in my life. And, And he sat with me and he said, Hey, I just wanted to check in about this thing. How are you feeling? How are you doing? What are, what are you navigating right now? How can I pray for you? He said this, I know there's nothing I can do for you, but I'm here with you. That that is the great gift that God offers us in prayer is his presence alongside us. Timothy Keller spoke of suffering and pain this way. He wrote this, suffering is unbearable if you aren't certain that God is for you and God is. Is with you. Because if God is with you, if God is for you, you can cling on to Him. And as the Bible, particularly the Psalms show us, you can weep in his presence, or you can yell, or you can grieve, or you can lament, or you can get mad and know that he will not leave or forsake you because he is a good father, that he doesn't get irritated, he doesn't get impatient, that we can be in his presence with the fullness of our emotions, with the fullness of our pain, and that his love is steadfast and we are secure in him. It's interesting. If you think just for a moment, like just for a minute, think about the people whose faith, whose trust in Jesus you admire the most. Just think about that person, bring them to mind even right now. If you think about those people or that person, I'd be willing to bet that their lives, when you think about their lives, have not been marked by ease and comfort, have not been marked by getting everything they ever wanted whenever they wanted it. Those people who trust in God who we most admire are not those who get everything easy, but those who have struggled and those who have suffered and those who have ached and yet continue to worship God in the midst of their pain. Those who have not given up in the face of suffering, those who have not given up in the face of unanswered prayer, those who have clung to Jesus right up to the very end, even with their questions lingering. I remember visiting my grandmother in the hospital just before she passed away. She's healthy. She played badminton. She took care of herself. She loved Jesus. She loved people. She was the best neighbor anyone could have imagined. And then all of a sudden, her body began to break down. And I remember visiting her and driving to the hospital in Kelowna where she was and and being angry with God. This isn't fair. How could you do this? Why is this happening? Why would, why would someone like her have her body break down at the age she is rather than being able to live longer to love and serve other people? Why would you do this? And I remember visiting her in the hospital and frail in a hospital bed as her physical body began to shut down. Her saying these simple words to me, Jesus has been so good to me. Jesus has been so good to me that in the face of suffering in the face of struggle that those who we most admire are those who cling on to Jesus and what's incredible about Zechariah and Elizabeth is it actually seems that they've done that because here's the reality about the culture that they were in Zechariah had options in a culture that glorified and made having a son to carry on your family's name the most important thing that you could do Zechariah had options. Culturally, it would have been totally acceptable for him to say, you can't give me a child. We are getting divorced and I'm getting remarried because I need an heir. It would have been totally culturally acceptable for him to just take a second wife. We see that with Abraham and Sarah's story back in Genesis. Okay, if I can't get a child through my wife, I'll just use a servant. I'll objectify her and and treat her in such a way that she gets me what I need. I will go outside the plan that God has to try and get what I believe I need. But no, they stay faithful to their marriage. Zechariah stays in it, even though it hasn't turned out like he planned or dreamed. Or, Or he could have said, forget God. Forget being a priest, forget doing all these things. Forget obeying what God tells me to do because God isn't doing me any favors. Forget serving a God who doesn't even remember me. My name means God remembers me. My life doesn't look like it, I'm out. But see for Zechariah, it seems that prayer, it seems that his relationship to God, his faithfulness was not transactional, but relational. And see, that's a transaction, right? God, if I serve you, if I do this, if I obey your rules, I want this. God, look at how much I've done. Look at how much money I've given. Look at how many times I've served. Look at how genuine I am when I worship. Look at how put together my life is. Why can't I get what I want? Why does that person get what they want? Why are you answering that prayer, but not mine? See, what I want you to know today is that prayer is not a negotiation with a God who's holding out on you. If you've ever bartered and gone to a market, you know, it's back and forth. Well, I'll give you this. I'll give you this much. I want this. Well, if you throw in this, maybe I'll do this. That's not how prayer works. Prayer is about relationship. Here's the beautiful truth of Zechariah's story. Here's what gives hope to each one of us today. That no matter how much we pray, No matter how much and how deeply we walk with God through pain and suffering, there are moments where our faith cracks, where the weight of the world leaves us with sore shoulders. And like Zechariah, we see and we hear God do something and we go, are you serious? This can't happen. I I gave up on that. There's no way. But here's the beautiful gift of the Advent story. Verse 20 of Luke 1 the angel speaks and says, now listen, you will become silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. Zechariah, you didn't believe. Your faith cracked. You blew it. You had this moment to act in faith, to receive in faith what God was doing in your life. And you didn't believe but the most beautiful piece of that verse. These things will be fulfilled. These things will happen. These things are still going to take place. This is the message of Advent. This is the core of Zechariah's story. That even when we have given up hope, God is still at work. Even when things feel too far gone, God will still move. That regardless of where we find ourselves, God will always come and find us. Here's how one pastor, Rich Velotis, puts it. Even though we are not always faithful in our waiting, God is always faithful in his coming. And so here's a question I want you to consider today. What prayers have you given up on? What spaces in your life have you simply looked at and said, I guess the answer is no. I guess God is not going to move in that space. I guess I'm on my own in that one. What person have you given up praying for? The person that you long so desperately to meet Jesus, but at this point, ah, it doesn't look like it's going to pan out. Their life is too far gone. Their life is too messed up. They've gone too far out of the way. Man, what situation have you given up that God might bring healing and restoration? You know, I was recently talking with someone about prayer and specifically prayer for healing. And this idea that, that when I'm struggling, when I've got a health issue, when I'm nervous or anxious about my health, I don't just want someone to pray for my comfort, I want them to pray for my healing. I don't just want someone who goes, man, God, I hope the doctors do okay, but, but would you just comfort Dan in the midst of this? I want someone to like go before God and ask God to move in power to heal. Like I want someone to pray and ask God to do miracles. I want someone who believes that God will actually show up and will actually do things that, that are more than we could ask or imagine. See, this glorious reality, this beautiful truth of the Advent season is that we remember and we worship a God who comes not because of our faithfulness, but because of his own. Paul, the apostle wrote about this tension himself in a letter to a young pastor named Timothy. He says this, Hey, Tim, here is a trustworthy saying. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. Look at this checklist. Look at these things to do to be a good Christian. Suffer with Jesus, endure for Jesus. Don't deny and reject Jesus. Here's what you have to do. You can check off all those boxes, but guess what? Verse 13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. Man, if you're faithless today, if you're tired, like if you're weary and brokenhearted, here's what the God who comes says to you. Come to me, all who are weary. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. I will never leave or forsake you. My friends, what I want you to know, the story of Advent tells us today is this. You may have given up on God. God has not given up on you. Advent is about the promise that God is coming. Not because we are good, but because he is good. Not because we are faithful, but because he is faithful. And we see him do that in Zechariah and Elizabeth's life. Verse 57, jumping later on in the narrative in Luke. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth and she has a son. Then her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord God had shown his great mercy and they rejoiced with her. And when they came to circumcise the child on the eighth day, they were gonna name him Zechariah after his father. But his mother responded, no, he will be called John. They said to her, but none of your relatives have that name. And so they motioned to his father to find out what he wanted him to be called. He asked for a writing tablet and he wrote, his name is John. And they were all amazed. See, Elizabeth does become pregnant. And after nine months where Zechariah couldn't speak, she gives birth to this child. And around her, the community celebrates the miracle that God has done. Look what God has done for Zechariah and Elizabeth. But when the community says, you finally got what you want, name him Zechariah, carry on your family name, celebrate what God has done for you. Elizabeth says, no, his name's John. People are confused. Why would you call him that? that? The whole point of having a kid is to carry on your family's name and your legacy and your power and, and your glory. What do you mean call him John? It's not the family name. It doesn't fit. Sh- shouldn't this miracle be about the person? This miracle that was given to Zechariah? Call him Zechariah Jr. You finally have what you want. You have your legacy. Why would you name him John? Well, John is a name that means this, God Gracious. So here's the reality of the miracle that God did for Zechariah and every miracle that God does. The miracle might be for the person, but it isn't about the person. The miracle that God might want to do in your life might be for you and it might bless you, but it's not about you. It's about God and His glory. And naming their son John was to reflect that God had been gracious that his name would reflect the story that God had been telling through Zechariah and Elizabeth's life and the story that he would tell throughout John's life. Here's how Eugene Peterson writes about the significance that we are named, that you have a name, that I have a name, that each one of us have a, has a name that matters. At our birth, he writes, we are named. We are not numbered. The name is that part of speech by which we are recognized as a person. When we are born, we are not classified as a species of animal. We are not labeled as a compound of chemicals. We are not assessed for our economic potential and given a cash value. We are named. What we are named is not nearly as significant as the reality that we are named. You have a name, which means you have a story. You, my friend, are more than a number. You're more than a statistic. You're more than your age. You're more than your economic status. You're more than your background. You're more than your successes and you're more than your failures. Here's something I heard someone say once about a youth ministry that that sought to reach a certain number of students. They'd been critiqued of, why would you put a number? It's not about numbers. It's not about numbers. It's not about numbers. Here's how I heard that pastor respond. He said, every number has a name. Every number has a name. We don't care about a hundred kids in our youth ministry. We care about each one of those students' names. Why? Because every name has a story. And it's only when we understand someone's story that we can understand their song because it's only when we see and understand Zechariah's story that we can understand his song and what he sings. Verse 64, immediately his mouth was open and his tongue was set free. He began to speak, praising God. Fear came on all those who lived around them. And all these things were talked about all across the hill country of Judea. See, the response to God's grace and God's faithfulness and God showing up in his life is to sing, is to celebrate, is to rejoice. And Zechariah can't help but do this in such a way that it impacts the people around him. That the people around him can't help but go, do you hear Zechariah? that guy who didn't talk for nine months, now he's just like singing about how gracious and how powerful God is and what God is doing. And like, you know the power of song, right? Here's something interesting. Every culture in the world, every culture in human history, every culture figures out a way to have music, to have song, why? Because it is the most natural expression the most natural human response to the reality of life, the good, the bad, and the ugly. There's something in us, even from a young age, you watch it with little kids who just begin to sing, who they don't even know what they're singing. They just begin to sing. Why? Because it's built into us. Like, like that's why if you fall in love with someone, what do you do? you don't write them a pro-com list telling them why you've decided that they're worthwhile and, and why you think they're swell and here's, here's the drawbacks, but here's, here's why. You write them a love song. Or if you're like me and you can't really write a love song, you make them a love mix CD. What do you do when you experience heartbreak? Man, you don't read a psychological article on the, the physiological realities that happen to us when we get broken up with. You, you go and listen to your favorite song to just cry and eat a pint of ice cream. This is why we sing. It, it, it's not just about an emotional response, but, but it's actually something that's built into us. It's, it's also why we sing as a church. And, and even as you listen online today, like the reality is that, that part of what we do as a church community is not simply to listen to preaching, but it's to sing together. It's an acknowledgement that we just like Zechariah have experienced God's grace and we can't help but celebrate. And what's beautiful is that the Psalms show us that, that, that our song to God actually can bear the weight of every human emotion, not just celebration, not just the good stuff, but the bad stuff and the heavy stuff that God invites us to sing it out to him. And in Zechariah's song, we see kind of two shades of what Zechariah sings about, what we sing about as well. The first is this, what God has done. Verse 67, let me read part of Zechariah's song to you. Then his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied, he said, blessed is the Lord of Israel, the God of Israel, because he has visited, he has showed up and provided redemption for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David, just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times. Salvation from our enemies, from the hands of those who hate us. He has dealt mercifully with our ancestors ancestors. He remembered his holy covenant. He remembered the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant that we, having been rescued from the hand of our enemies, would serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness in the presence all of our days. He's looking back. He's saying, look at what God has done. That, that my story looks like Abraham's story. That, that the story of Israel is the story of all of us that God didn't just start working with me, that he's been working all the way along. We sing about what God has done, but we don't only sing that, we sing about what God will do. Listen to the rest of the song. He sings over his son, and you child will be called a prophet of the most high. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. He's prophesying over his son's life that John's life is going to be a place where God works. Zechariah sees beyond his own story. He looks into the story of the next generation, but it's not just for his own story. It's not just caring about his name, his glory, his legacy. It's about the greater story that God is telling, the story of Jesus. Verse 78, because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. The promise, the hope, the song climaxes on this beautiful, beautiful reality that those who are in darkness will experience the light. Jesus, at this moment of the story, a baby growing in Mary's womb, is coming into the story to be the ultimate work of God's faithfulness and God's grace. And this story, Zechariah's story, Elizabeth's story is just a taste. It's just a lead in. That this boy, John would actually grow up to be a preacher who was marked and defined by how he pointed not to himself, but to Jesus who would actually ask that he could become less so that Christ could become more, that all he did pointed to the promise and the hope of the Advent season. And that's not him. That's not our story. That's not the miracle we long for. It's the miracle and the work and power of Jesus. Why? Because God shows up. In the gospel of John, it opens with these words about Jesus, the light of the world in the Advent season. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life. And that life was the light of mankind. And that light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. There was a man who was sent from God whose name was John, this baby that's just been born. And he came as a witness to testify and to tell about the light so that all might believe through him. He wasn't the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light that gives life to everyone was coming in to the world. See, the story of Zechariah, the story of John the Baptist, every story where God does a miracle are showing us that there's times and there's places where God will work in power to do things greater than we could ask or imagine. But we know that in this life, we live in the tension of unanswered prayer. We live in the tension that many of us have prayed for things and those prayers have not been answered the way we hoped they would. That we have longed for God to do things that we have not yet seen God do. We live in the tension of those unanswered prayers, the hope deferred that makes the heart sick, the longings that never seem to unravel. Sometimes the baby doesn't come. Sometimes the marriage doesn't last. Sometimes the dream fizzles out. The promotion never gets there. But the song of Jeremiah is showing us that it's in the coming of Jesus Christ that we see that the light of the world has broken in and we can know the end of the story. That whether in this world or the next, that Jesus will restore and will redeem and will break into the darkness and make all things new. That in the words of J.R. Tolkien, Everything sad will come untrue. That we can take hold of the hope just as Jeremiah needed to. Our prayers have been heard. That God is with us. That that is the beauty and gift of Advent. But not only that, but that the light overcomes the darkness. St. Francis of Assisi once wrote this. All the darkness in the world cannot extinguish the light of a single Handle. The light who came into the world could not be overcome by darkness. Sin could not overcome him. Temptation could not overcome him. Betrayal could not overcome him. Torture could not overcome him. Death on a cross would not overcome him because our Christ rose again. Christ is the one who came. Christ is the one who Zechariah sang about and who his son John preached about. But that Christ who is the one who is coming did not just come once, but will come again. That we can take hope today, that our prayers have been heard, that the light will overcome the darkness and that the end of the story is already written. Christ has died, Christ has risen and Christ will come again. Again, let me pray for you today. Dear Jesus, we come before you and we thank you that you are alive and at work today. We rejoice in the reality that God, whether in this life or the next, all the darkness will come undone. Your light will have its victory. And God, we hope and we long for the things that we desire, but we also hold our hands open. Help us, Lord Jesus, to cling to you even in the midst of our pain, even in the midst of our suffering. Lord Jesus, would you set our eyes on the reality this Advent season that you are the one who has come, that you are the one who is at work and that you are the one who will come again. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are about the work of making all things new in our lives from this day forward into eternity. So we worship you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.